the Spirit of Jazz podcast, where music dances with mystery, with your hosts, Bill Carter and Jeff Kellum. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is the Spirit of Jazz podcast. This is Bill Carter. And I'm Jeff Kellum. This is Chapter 2. And we're sure glad you're here. Uh, Last time we were talking about uh, our own influence in uh, how we first learned to love jazz. And uh, not a coincidence, our family was a a big shape in that. Um, So, Jeff, tell me about a moment when... uh, you heard some jazz musicians and something just kind of awakened in you where you sat back and said, wow. Um, I think it was uh, that very first um, concert I went to back when I was a kid, it was the Jimmy Dorsey orchestra. And to hear the sound of that band, I'd never heard anything like it. I mean, I knew a high school marching band and I'd heard, you know, stuff on TV, but to be in the room with, and I don't know how big the band was at that time, maybe 16 players, but it was something I'd never heard before. And to hear the brass, to hear the drumming, uh, it was it was one of those moments where you think, this is cool. And mm-hmm. where, where are my classmates? How come yeah. I'm the one? Come I'm the only kid in the room, you know? Well, and if, if these moments are spiritual, I think one of the things I've learned, and I'm actually a bit sad about it, is uh, a lot of spiritual moments aren't shared. Uh, they hit us individually. I mean, every once in a while, there's a kind of a group moment, but uh, yeah, I haven't always been part of a large gathering of folks going, wow, um, or the things that caught me didn't catch somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. There aren't too many really amen moments in our, in our daily lives. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even in church, the, uh, you know, in our tradition, things are pretty quiet, people are not, not quite sitting on their hands, but the choreography of our church uh, and, and the what we used to call the mainline traditions yeah. is pretty much stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Yeah, that's right. Well, so I thought today I'd, we'd get it started. I'm going to tell you a story. It comes from March 31st, 1955. Uh, it was a Thursday night in Oil City, Pennsylvania. Western Pennsylvania. Yep, up in the hills, old oil country. My mother was there for a concert in the Latonia Theater. Uh, all 1,600 seats were full. Wow. And she she has given me the ticket. She pulled it out of a scrapbook. It was Louis Armstrong and his all-stars. Oh, my. Look at and that. With uh, Barney Begard, Trummy Young, Velma Middleton, Arvell Shaw, Barrett Deems, and Billy Kyle. And uh, the ticket, of course, uh, this was a balcony seat, was $1.85. <laughs> uh, she was taken by her aunt. It was a couple days after her 19th birthday. And, and this was a big thing. I mean, my mom was working, of course, at that time and taken out on the Thursday night. They, they got on their fine dresses. They went, gave their tickets, sat up in the balcony, and Lewis and the band came out. No, I have to ask, did your mom know who Louis Armstrong was at that time? Her aunt did, but did your mother? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, jazz was part of the whole popular music of the time. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so he came out and she remembers two things. Uh, One was 
He had this stack of folded handkerchiefs on top of the piano. Oh, sure. And within the first tune, uh, the first part of the first tune, he was perspiring so hard, working so hard that he had to wipe his brow. Sure. And he would drop the handkerchiefs on the ground. And I used to joke, um, I wonder what that DNA is worth. <laughs> and then the other thing is that the room changed. It was an, a moment for her where it changed, but but it was also this kind of moment where she was astonished. Something was awakened, something was sharpened, and it was like there was a palpable presence that uh, she, she didn't understand. And she never forgot that wow. and never forgot the handkerchiefs. What a lasting impression. Yeah. I think so. And I think there's, there's something about this. Uh, jazz is almost, or, or the arts, the creative arts, when they hit us, it's almost like that old Bible story of the transfiguration where Jesus takes a few friends to the top of a mountain and then he changes. New Testament kind of looks for a word and they say transfigure, but but it's this kind of moment beyond speech. Yeah. Something happens, uh, even artistically. He, he he glows. He takes on light. And I think sometimes we have those experiences when we listen to music and encounter the arts. Yeah, the word transfiguration isn't used in our in our culture very often. It's no. one of the biblical words, but transcendence yeah. transcendence is a word that we use yeah. for those moments when you can't put something into words. You're just, you're, your jaw drops. Right. And it's beyond all comprehension and all control. It's it's unmanageable. Try to explain it to somebody the way your mother would have tried to explain Louis Armstrong to someone. Yeah. I, I think we all stammer for words to try to find uh, what, what, what that is. And, you know, I can report that among some of the musicians, they kind of describe this too. There was a moment where Christian McBride was talking about a gig he played with McCoy Tyner, the pianist who had played with John Coltrane in the 60s. And right. he was there with Lewis Nash, the drummer. They were there for six nights out in Oakland, California at Yoshi's. And uh, I was going to read his description. When we started the gig that night, a spirit took hold of Mr. Tyner and us. And I can't say I've ever felt before or since. Forget about feel. You could almost see fire, wind, and rain coming out of the piano that night. <laughs> when we finished the first set, Lewis and I were drenched in sweat. Our suits were ruined. We just looked at each other and thought, what just happened? And McCoy sat there peaceful as could be, sweetly giggling at me and Lewis's amazement. Uh. <laughs> it's curious to me that jazz makers like artists will sometimes have spiritual moments as they're creating and, and as they're performing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's 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 a unique experience. That is, you can't replicate that. Uh, no. That it's that one time moment, that event, that spark, that energy, and it's not like you're going to now record it and uh, everybody will play it back over and over. Right. Someone was telling me one time about a recording of a Bill Evans concert called "Live at the Maintenance Shop," and it was literally, I think, a, a maintenance shop. Uh, in in a university in the Midwest. And so I found the DVD of the performance and I popped it in and the music was good. But what struck me was Evans at one point is grumbling about the crowd. They're not listening. He doesn't like the piano. <laughs> uh -huh. And 
the friend who was telling me about the concert said, this is the best thing he ever did. So yeah. it hit him in a way that didn't hit Evans. That's for sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it's true. I, th- I think this is the slippery nature of a spiritual experience. They're, yeah. they're elusive. They, they come, they go, and maybe they transform before they depart. Yeah. I love that phrase. What just happened? <laughs> so if you're listening into this, uh, stop and think about some time you were at a concert or went to see a show or you heard a band and it was more than just a backdrop or a soundtrack. You know, my wife and I were at a, a festival, country festival, to support a local fire department and a band was playing and nobody was listening. So they just turned it up. And uh, it, was, it was in the backdrop. It, it, there was nothing really moving about it. You know, she went to get a cheesesteak and I got a chili dog. And those are things that we'll repeat on you later, but maybe not the, <laughs> not the musical experience. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my mom said uh, the room came alive. Yeah. The room came alive. And I pressed her for more of a description. She did not have the, the words. Yeah, but imagine, you said 1,700 people, right, in that theater? Uh, yeah, 1,600, yeah, yeah. 1,600 people uh, with a common experience of awe. Now, sure, surely there's a couple of folks who walked out and said, well, that was all right. But mostly there's a uh, there's an aura, uh, this yes. audible aura. Yeah. That's- well, and, and when you think about what was going on at the time, this is 1955, it was less than a year after the uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. Mm. Uh, it was right before the murder of Emmett Till and the Montgomery uh, bus boycott. Um, all moments that were sparking, you know, a change, dramatic change in America. And this was Western Pennsylvania, where everybody, for the most part, had white skin. And I'm pretty sure Lewis could not get a hotel room in that town. Not uh. at that time. And yet here he came and he released something. Yeah. Uh, he just put it in the air. When you, you've, you've told me before about uh, teaching students, uh, when you teach, mm-hmm. you send students to listen to music yeah. and uh, to, to not just take notes on, on, on things, but to really listen. Tell me a little bit about that experience. That What, what are you asking them to listen to? Well, I want them to watch as much as listen. I want them to pay attention to what's going on between the musicians. But uh, I think one of the most curious things I require of them is they can't use more than one adjective per sentence. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they come back and say, that was hot and swinging and really cool and tremendous. And uh, I, we, we have to, again, move beyond speech and perhaps describe its effect on us because that's where the transformation happens. Yeah. Yeah. You've used the term listen deeply. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not listening only with your ears, but you're also listening with, with your heart. Well, that's exactly right. That's right. And, and then trying to find some way to communicate that to others, if, if you wish, but I think some of these spiritual moments, they hit us because we are ready ready to receive and others are not. Yeah. All right. So let me press you a little bit on when that's happened to you when you were performing. What can you think of a time when you were performing and then something really, really came together and touched you? Well, sure. I was recently uh, 
invited to play down at the Deerhead Inn in uh, Delaware Water Gap, Pennsylvania, in the Poconos at a club. And a friend had called and wonderful bunch of musicians. Uh, we had not worked together as an entity ever before. I mean, I'd worked with some of them. I knew some of them. I knew all of them. But there was one moment, I recall, in the middle of a tune. Um, and it was like my fingers took over and I had gotten out of the way. Mm, yeah. And all I could do was let it happen and step back. And it was like I was being guided. Mm. Uh, and I think the, you know, I, some musicians will say, uh, David Friesen, a bassist out in Portland, Oregon, great jazz bassist, says, you've got to follow the music. Mm. And he's not talking about reading a page. He's about attending to what's happening and going with it for a while, giving yourself permission to uh, to jump into the deep water and swim if you're able. Yeah. I saw Wynton Marsalis in concert at Cornell. And at one point, he said to the, uh, to the band, don't worry about the notes. Feel it. You know, that for young musicians to hear that from someone like Marsalis, that, that ought to stick. Oh, yeah. Well, and our friend Tony Marino, the bass player, uh, was, we were on a plane going somewhere one time for a concert, and he pulled out a bunch of handwritten music. I said, what's this? He says, well, I'm working with a Cuban pianist in Philadelphia next week, and I'm trying to figure out, um, I'm trying to just absorb what he wants me to do. And he keeps telling me, don't worry, just feel it. Just go with it. It'll come to you. Right, right. Um, I think one of the tunes that you uh, and the Presby Bop uh, Quartet have played uh, that that is very touching, whether it has the lyric with it or not, is Welcome Home. Mm -hmm. um, just there's something about the music. There's something about wedding the music to the title. Mm -hmm. And then when you do hear um, hear the words sung with it, then you don't have to hear the words again because every time you hear the instrumental music, you are still, I think it touches that, that home place within us. Yeah. Let's listen to a little clip of that. Will 
I was walking down a street in Louisville, Kentucky one day, and I came upon 4th Street and on my way to uh, meet a friend for dinner. I passed the Seelbach Hotel where jazz groups would play regularly, and I crossed Muhammad Ali Boulevard. And on a street corner, uh, there was a sign honoring a moment when Thomas Merton, the spiritual writer and monk, had a moment. Uh, like he uh, had a moment there. Yeah. And, uh, so let me let me read what the sign said. A revelation. Merton had a sudden insight at this corner, March 19, 1958, which led him to redefine his monastic identity with greater involvement in social justice issues. He was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people. He found them walking around, shining like the sun. You know, this we use the word uh, transfiguration. But the mm-hmm. other word is epiphany. He had mm-hmm. an epiphany. Yeah, yeah, he did. If if we all had one epiphany a year, that would be a wonderful thing. Sometimes one in a lifetime is enough. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll come back to some of these things in future episodes. Yeah. Anything you want to say, kind of in closing? I just want to encourage uh, those who are listening 
to share your transformative moments in listening to music, any kind of music, but especially jazz. And, uh, you know, if you've had an epiphany moment, one of those times when just everything seemed to come together because of the musicians, the notes, the fellow listeners and the audience, um, share those moments with us. There's a Absolutely. way to um, I think what I'll do in conclusion is uh, I'm going to play a recording of the great saxophonist David Liebman, who played with Miles Davis and a number of great luminaries. And he describes this moment that only he can put in his own words. Hmm. Give it a listen. So uh, when you play, tell me about the zone you go into. Well, I attempt to be in the moment with no past and no future. I call it le roi du monde, a French expression which means king of the world. I think they meant Louis XIV, but I'll take that meaning. When you have, when you're playing and you're in control, there are moments that that actually happens. With good people, with a good audience, with good sound, you are so in present, you are controlled. The moment is the greatest high and the greatest feeling in the world. It's beyond anything. It's spiritual, it's, it's a physical, it's mental, it's vibe, it's groove, it's the whole deal. And that's what we go for every night when we play. Of course, you only may reach it a few times in your life, but that's worth the trip. Thanks for listening to the Spirit of Jazz podcast. This is a production of Presby Bop Music. To find out more about Presby Bop, our music, concerts, and recordings, please explore our website at www.presbybop.com. And send us a note telling us what you think about the Spirit of Jazz. We'd love to hear from you. Check in with us again next time. I'm Jeff Kellum. And I'm Bill Carter. Thanks for tuning in.